Hello, welcome back to the Museum of Femininity. My name is Charlotte Appleyard and today we will be doing a storytelling episode surrounding the life of the infamous second wife of Henry VIII, Anne Boleyn. So in this episode I will be covering a bit of her story but I would mostly like to focus on the various ghostly sightings of this English queen and what this can perhaps tell us about how she is viewed by society today. On the morning of the 19th of May 1536, the second wife of Henry VIII, Anne Boleyn, went bravely to her death, stepping onto the gallows at Tower Green in a flowing black nightrobe with flashing red underskirts and a white ermine cape. Anne was killed quickly in a private execution at the Tower of London, after being granted the small mercy of being executed with a sword instead of an axe, and commented morbidly the night prior, seeking a small glimmer of positivity in a bleak, nightmarish situation. I heard say the executioner was very good, and I have a little neck. And with just one slice, that delicate neck, which was once declared fine by poet Thomas Wyatt, was severed, and her life ended for good. Amberlynn was notorious and vilified. Just seven days before, she had been arrested and forced to the Tower of London as a prisoner. Her fall had been great indeed, and as well as having to pass beneath the traitor's gate, she suffered the additional humiliation of seeing out her final days in the same apartment where, in 1533, she had eagerly waited for her lavish coronation. Her head rolled to the ground and her attendants approached, distraught and screaming. One bent down to cover Anne's head in a white cloth. Her body, which was now limp and lifeless, was undressed and bound in white coverings. It was then lifted and placed within an old elm chest that had once been used to store bow's staves. Despite her high-ranking status prior to her downfall, no provisions had been made for a proper coffin. Amberlynn's head and body were taken to the Chapel Royal of St Peter ad Vin- Vincula and buried in an unmarked grave. Later her body would be joined by the King's fifth wife Catherine Howard and the unfortunate Lady Jane Grey, who was executed at just 17 for high treason. Eleven days passed and Henry VIII married Jane Seymour. It was as if Anne had never existed, despite the once passionate love Henry had proclaimed in his dozens of sentimental love letters, signing his beloved's name with a love heart around her initials, like a besotted schoolboy with a crush. Three years and three months since her marriage, Anne Boleyn's name was chiselled out of the fabric of Hampton Court Palace and her badges and heraldry replaced by Henry's latest spouses. Anne's memory was erased from history and her identity tainted with the image of a heretical seductress, a witch and a dangerous femme fatale. It is easy to forget that this temptress was the mother of one Elizabeth I, one of the greatest rulers this country has ever known. Throughout the centuries, Anne's reputation has grown and historians have grappled with the biased evidence in the hope of determining who she really was. 
A part of her infamy also exists in the many hauntings and ghost sightings which have been reported at Hever Castle, where she grew up, the Tower of London, and Blickling Hall, where she was allegedly born. So what was Anne Boleyn's crimes that led her to her gruesome fate? And what are some of the ghostly sightings of her that have been recorded centuries after her death? Anne Boleyn was born around 1500 as the daughter of Sir Thomas Boleyn, a respected courtier, and Elizabeth Howard, whose father, Sir Thomas Howard, was one of the most powerful men in the country. She spent her childhood in the bucolic Kent countryside at Hever Castle, and later her blossoming adolescence in the French court, where she was companion to Mary, Henry VIII's sister, who was married to Louis XII. Despite her colourful character in the public imagination, as expanded on in recent media, like the bombastic Tudor TV show, or the insidious adaptation of her in the novel Wolf Hall by Hilary Mantel. Little is known about Anne's personality, and even her appearance, as no contemporary portraits exist of her. Some descriptions have survived, and it is generally believed she had dark hair and eyes and a slender neck, but beyond that, no further details exist. Anne first met King Henry VIII when she returned to England in 1522 and took one of the lead roles as Perseverance in a court mask at Thomas Wolsey's residence at Whitehall. She must have been a striking addition to court, draped in her fashionable French dress and a charismatic presence to capture the eye of the married king. It was also said she had many admirers and engaged in acceptable flirtatious romances with courtiers. Henry was growing increasingly discontented with his marriage to Catherine of Aragon, who had only produced one surviving child, Princess Mary. He was desperate for an heir and started to think of a way out of his marriage with his increasingly ageing queen. Perhaps prompted by influential family members or driven by her own ambition, Anne insisted on marriage. It is also evident from their love letters that Henry found Anne intoxicating and was also driven by a need to consummate their union. In 1527, the king began looking for political and legal solutions, petitioning to the Pope and claiming that his marriage had never been legitimate because he had sinned in taking his brother's widow, which some scholars believe to be prohibited by the Bible. Thomas Wolsey was charged with procuring the divorce. He failed and his own career was destroyed in the process as the Pope refused to give in to Henry's demands. Henry defied the Pope and dismissed Catherine in 1531, banishing her from court to Kimbolton Castle where she lived in isolation until her death from cancer in January 1536. Anne finally married Henry in January 1533 and was crowned Queen of we in Westminster Hall on the 1st of January that summer. Henry's marriage to Anne was technically bigamous, as his marriage to Catherine was not annulled until May 1533. It is said the mood in the streets was sombre, and even up to Anne's death, there was still widespread sympathy for Catherine. Henry broke with the Roman Catholic Church a year later, installing himself as the supreme head of the Church of England. This created a public outcry which caused religious and political unrest in Britain for the next 200 years. Although the birth of Elizabeth provided Anne with great joy, subsequent miscarriages followed and courtiers grew angry and bitter with their queen, disliking her influence over the king. 
once more a promising new foreign alliance with the Holy Roman Emperor floundered because the Emperor Charles V refused to ratify the Berlin marriage. As well as this, Henry was spiritually superstitious and his ever-growing fiery relationship with Anne was making him question if he had made the right decision. He needed a way out so he could replace Anne with a more compliant bride. In 1536, Thomas Cromwell accused Anne of adultery, incest with her brother George and plotting to end the king's life, charges which were enough to have her executed and cast aside. For just like Catherine, Anne had also been discarded for a younger bride, Jane Seymour, who coincidentally was also Anne's lady-in-waiting. Anne was arrested and the events were put in, in motion for her ultimate execution. Even though her life was erased from the royal history books, perhaps some of her spirit lives on wandering through the halls and rooms she once occupied in life. Please enjoy some haunting stories of Anne Boleyn's ghost. In 1864, Major General J.D. Dundas of the 60th Rifles Regiment was quartered in the Tower of London. As he was staring out the window of his quarters, he noticed a guard below in the courtyard, beside the lodgings where Anne had been held captive before her execution. The guard was behaving strangely. He appeared to be looking at something or someone, but nothing was there. His stance and gestures were challenging something. The general then caught sight of what it was, and later exclaimed, it looked like a whitish female figure gliding towards the soldier. The guard, agitated and angry, charged forward and staggered through the form, thrusting his bayonet into thin air. Stunned by his experience, the guard then fainted. The guard was facing a lengthy prison sentence for having fainted while on duty, and was only saved when the general stepped in to give his testimony. So convinced was he by what he had seen. Other sightings of Anne Boleyn at the Tower of London mainly feature the church where she is buried. It is said she has been seen on numerous occasions gliding down the aisles, often with her head beneath her arm, towards the grave where the altar is, clearly drawn to the location where she is buried. The Tower of London was a place of death and pain where many royals and politicians met their demise, so it is hardly surprising that sightings have continued and that it remains one of the most credible haunted locations. The fact it has regular ghost tours throughout the year is proof enough that its enduring legacy as a place for the dead to roam is alive and well. Some other infamous ghostly sightings that occurred at the Tower of London include one that happened in January 1816, when a sentry on guard outside the jewel house claimed to have witnessed an apparition of a bear advancing towards him, and reportedly died of fright a few days later. In addition, in October 1817, a tubular glowing apparition was claimed to have been seen in the jewel house by the keeper of the crown jewels, Edmund Lenville Swift. He said that the apparition hovered over the shoulder of his wife, leading her to exclaim, Oh Christ, it has seized me! Other mysterious apparitions continue to be reported by night staff at the Tower of London. Another well-known Anne Boleyn ghostly tale is perhaps slightly less believable and a bit more fantastical. And it takes place at Blickling Hall. Blickling Hall was the grand Norfolk residence of Anne's parents and they resided there until 1507. 
It is said that when news of her execution reached the hall, four headless horses were seen galloping across their land, dragging the body of a headless man behind them. Since this fateful day, there have been numerous paranormal sightings relating to the dead queen and her relatives. The most enduring sighting occurs every year on the anniversary of her execution. It is said that on this day, a coach drawn by headless horses rides up to the property as night falls. Inside sits the figure of Anne Boleyn with her head resting in her lap. As the coach approaches the front door of Bickling Hall, it disappears from sight, leaving the ghostly white figure of Anne to roam the halls of Blickling Hall until sunrise. In a similar vein, Thomas Boleyn is also said to haunt Blickling on this day. Remorseful and consumed by guilt, for allowing his two children to be executed for high treason and the sin of adultery. Legend dictates that as penance he must cross 12 bridges before Cockcrow on the 19th of May. With his ghostly coach of headless horses, he starts at Blickling and finishes at Wroxham. Her brother, Lord Rochford, also appears on the same night. He too is headless, although he doesn't enjoy the comfort of a carriage, for he's dragged across the surrounding countryside by four headless horses, evoking how the original legend has morphed and changed over the years into a ghostly tale. Other sightings have been reported at Hever Castle as well as Windsor Castle. Headless or not, she is either sorrowful or screaming in pain, clutching her head, and lingers in sights of personal significance to her history. Although these stories are tinged with legend and perhaps Victorian macabre and sensationalism, it says something interesting about Anne Boleyn's enduring legacy and our desire to capture her essence and to frighten ourselves with the shocking brutality of our past. Perhaps one day we will find further evidence of Anne's life and feelings, which will help her emerge from the shadows of her vixen reputation and life as a wandering spirit. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Museum of Femininity. There will be a part two where I will tell some more ghostly stories. Please follow us on social media. Uh, Twitter is at museum underscore of underscore fem, capital F-E-M. And Instagram is at the Museum of Femininity. I'll be posting a few pictures and maybe some audio snippets and things like that. It would also be great if you could let us know what you think, if you enjoy the new format. You may have noticed we are releasing episodes a bit more regularly, so I hope you like the sort of structure of each month and our focus on female artists, objects, storytelling as well as our longer, more general episode exploring a broad theme such as last week's Femme Fatale episode. So for most of the month, it will probably just be me on my own, and then once a month, there'll be a longer episode which will include Brie as well. So I hope you enjoy the more consistent uploading. Uh, Please leave us a review or any feedback on how we could maybe improve this podcast. And I'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening. Bye. But there were important times where girls refused to bow to expectations. They took a stand.